This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. This episode of I Will Watch Anything Once is brought to you by Rhetoric Coffee. At rhetoriccoffee.com, you can sign up for a subscription coffee service where every other Monday you will receive a new batch of freshly roasted beans. Rhetoric Coffee commissions original art directly from comic book artists and then hand screen prints them on each bag. So just like every movie has its own unique poster, each batch you receive is a unique organic work of art. When you drink Rhetoric Coffee, you can feel good about drinking ethical coffee because they go above and beyond with their coffee and how they pay their artists. Their relationship with the artists allow them to continue making prints of their original work while also allowing Rhetoric Coffee full use of their projects. Everyone wins. It's like when you own the DVD for your favorite movie. You won't taste these complex flavors anywhere else. Go to rhetoriccoffee.com, use the promo code BOARDWALK, and get 30% off your first roast. Again, that is rhetoriccoffee.com, promo code BOARDWALK, and get 30% off your first roast. Welcome to I Will Watch Anything Once. I'm your host, Mark David Christensen. There is a simple way that you can support all of the great shows here on the Boardwalk Audio Network. Simply by clicking on the button on Boardwalk Audio's website that says Support Our Artists, that will link you to Amazon.com. From there, you just have to do your normal shopping, and it will a small amount will be kicked back to all the great shows here on Boardwalk Audio. Definitely support all these great shows and keep them going. Now we're in the middle of October. Um, we're about to hit midway through. It's a scary month. Um, I have since the beginning of October been watching a scary movie a day. Um, there's only been at this point one movie that scared me. That's the Baba Duke. Um, however, the hardest part about this is finding time to watch a scary movie a day. Finding time just to watch a movie a day is very difficult. Um, multiple times I have been a day behind, had to make it up with two scary movies a day um, or watch them in the morning rather than at night when I prefer. Uh, but it's a spooky month because of that. So if you um, have any other movies out there, that I haven't posted about um, that I previously already watched for what I'm calling hashtag 31 days to scare Dave. Use that hashtag and tweet at me and tell me what movies, scary movies, you'd like me to watch during this month of October because I normally avoid those scary movies altogether. But we have a great episode that is Halloween themed for you today. Um, Let's get to that. Um, He... Um, it's going to be about a. Gr- uh, this movie is about something that I also avoid, which is haunted houses. I typically stay away from them. Even just saying haunted house, I can feel uh, a little bit of anxiety and a little bit of fear building up right here in this moment. But we'll get to that in this episode as well with a wonderful guest, someone who loves Halloween. He um, loves this time of year. He's a very funny man and a great friend of mine, Adam McCabe.
All right, I'm here with Adam McCabe, and we just watched the documentary, uh, The American Scream. The American Hi, Adam. Scream. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> uh, I love that documentary so much. It really is great. Um, for the real quick, for those that possibly out there have not seen it, that are listening, um, and since you had seen this prior and I have not, uh, give us a little quick synopsis of uh, The American Scream. Shoot. Uh, of course. The American Scream is a documentary uh, directed by the director of uh, Best Worst Movie, oh, which is the documentary that. about Troll 2. So that also means he was a little boy in Troll 2. So it was directed by the star of Troll 2, uh, who directed another amazing documentary called Best Worst Movie, which is about the making of Troll 2 and why that was such a perfect storm. I honestly think I enjoy, I know this is tangential, but I think I enjoy Best Worst Movie more than I enjoy Troll 2 because having seen you need to see Troll 2 because everyone should. But then to watch that documentary, you're like, oh, this was 100% sincere. And to see every step of the way while making that movie, you're like, oh, that's why that was shitty. That's why this was shitty. That's why mm-hmm. this was shitty. It's uh, a the, great documentary. Great Best documentary. movie is one of the best documentaries. Uh-huh. And then this guy that directed The American Scream directed that. So this is also very well done. He's got a great eye for documentary. Um, yeah, he really does. He knows how to, like, highlight just people, like, just the, hum- the humanity of, mm-hmm. like, people that you normally... Um, we'll get more into it, but like normally that you just kind of label as a weirdo and you'd sort of st- like you would you would stay yeah. like oh, people definitely. in your neighbor that neighborhood that you would probably just if you saw them coming you'd either just shyly say hi or you'd walk across the street and go yeah. that's those oh, I feel the best documentaries do that my favorite documentary of all time is American Movie uh, which if you haven't seen the documentary American Movie it's a masterpiece I know you have yes um, okay so the, the description is the American Scream follows three different home haunters, which are uh, individuals who build haunted walkthroughs in their backyards or side yards. So you have um, one family that's run by a guy who's very meticulous. His is very professional looking uh, and organized. And then you have the mid-tier guy whose stuff isn't the best looking, but it's not bad, but he's just doing it for the fun. He's not crazy meticulous about it. And then you have the other guy who is, um, (laughs) it's all men. That's interesting to me. I wonder how many women applied to do it. Um, But the third one is a father and son duo who everything is crappy, everything falls apart, but they still want to do it because they love it. So you get those three different levels. You get the top tier guy who loves it, but he's very meticulous and everything looks great. The middle and then the bottom, the base. And it just follows them from the beginning of Halloween or excuse me, October October 1st, all the way up to Halloween when their haunt opens. So you get to follow them for an entire month as they prepare for their haunted walkthrough. Amateur haunts. Their amateur haunts. So that's, first off, right off the bat, I, uh, we'll just get into talking about because I really liked this documentary. I, um, it's rare that if a documentary uh, is doesn't entertain me, unless yeah. it's like like... Off the top of that, did you ever see the one about the painter that did the Star Wars posters? No. It's a terrible documentary. Because <laughs> it's just boring. Yeah. It's like you hit like moments where they're talking about, oh, this was a hard time in my life, and they don't explore it. It's just like, it's almost like, it's just too much like, we sat down and interviewed people and we cut it together. You don't go, like this, I think a documentary in this guy that uh, I did not know well, going into this is the same documentarian as Best Worst Movie, is they find a, a story in there. 
It's like, oh, yeah, it's, there's a narrative that they find. Yeah. It's not just – like I think uh, documentaries can go wrong when it's literally they just document rather yep. than actually through editing and filmmaking tell us a story that they happen to capture. Yeah. They're lucky enough to capture. But the director's was, name, by the way, is Michael Stevenson. Michael Stevenson. I saw – one of the first viewings ever of that documentary because it opened I'd have to look into the facts but when my friends back in Utah were running a film festival I went back I flew back home for it and that was one of the opening movies that they grabbed yeah because he's and from I, Utah yeah he's, and, and they shot that movie they in shot Utah. it in Utah as a well. lot of that cast still lives there what town was it in do you remember? I cannot remember. Troll 2, because that was such an interesting small town. Yeah. Um, I, I, it was, I mean, I immediately like, say Vernon, but I'm probably totally wrong. Uh, but yeah, like you're saying about just uh, a story unfolding as you. Because the best documentaries to me, I agree with you. A lot of them are after the fact stuff where it's like, uh, I, I think documentaries that don't do a, an effective job are ones that are like, hey, this thing happened. Here's that story cut together. Mostly interviews and uh, the end uh, versus like watching a story unfold as you do it uh the best documentaries to me set out to capture one thing and end up capturing something else along the way yes. you know like your dear zachary's or this uh dear zachary's deadly series i haven't seen it but i i know about it it is it's amazing I, uh, that's, it's that's absolutely devastating heard. but it's amazing yeah that's if you I... haven't seen it listeners don't look up what it's about just watch it yeah that's clear your evening I'll tell you that. Yeah, I've heard, it's, I've heard it's a movie that you will – it will drain you. Yeah. Uh, what I love about this documentary is it's the same thing with American movie where like if you watch this and you were young, you would laugh at them and it would be a lot of laughing at. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you get older and you understand like trying to work towards a dream, uh, it hits There's you so differently. so much sympathy for these yeah. people. Because they, just, they like, just have oh. something that they want to do. They want to accomplish. They want to do well. They want people to love it. And you put all this work into it and you don't know how it's going to be received. And you see, like, the cost of your your dream on your relationships, how, you know, other people are affected by your chase for your dream, how it affects your family. And it's such a good window into that. That's what, like, growing older, you watch movies like this, you're like, oh, shoot, like, Again, this would be funny if I was 20, but when you get in your 30s, you're like, oh, this is this can be depressing. It becomes bittersweet. It is very bittersweet because, you, yeah, you can easily sit back in your 20s and go like, huh, look at all the time they're wasting on this and the money they're wasting. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, I'm 33. If you quickly turn the camera on me and showed my last seven years in LA probably people would laugh at the shit I've wasted money on improv yeah. classes acting classes trying my best to, the, the tears I've shed over not getting on like a, a team that doesn't pay me yeah. at a theater or just you know what I mean like you would laugh at me as well and that's what that the best documentaries do is let you form your own conclusion so it will hit you differently at different ages or just based on where you're at in your life you can relate to it in your own way that's where it becomes more like art where okay I'm looking at a painting I feel a certain thing. The artist isn't telling me what to think or take from it. They're letting me form my own conclusions. The best documentaries do that, where it's like, okay, here with without commentary are three different people who love the same thing and the way they do it. Okay, do I relate to this guy? Do I relate to this person? Do I think what they're doing is wrong? Do mm-hmm. I understand where they're coming from? And you draw your own conclusions. I feel like documentaries should do that. Just let you draw your own conclusion. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Like one of my... Uh 
documentaries. We're totally different style, but have you seen the um, the Koya Naskatsky like kind of documentaries? No. The first one's called Koya Naskatsky. It's called like the, the the Skatsky trilogy. Okay. And essentially, have you heard of like Baraka or any of those? I know. Um, you should check these out. Is Baraka out. the bad guy? One of the bad guys in Mortal Kombat two or three? <laughs> yeah, I, believe I that's think Baraka is Mortal Kombat three. I wish there was a documentary that I, I just made you watch a documentary about the creation of one character, one from, character from, in Mortal, Mortal Kombat. Kombat. <laughs> His evolution over two hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but the, what these documentaries are, they're, they're less following characters. They're essentially just these filmmakers uh, going out and they fu- around the world and they're, they're shooting footage and then they're editing it together. So it's, they're telling it, it mainly just through visuals and music. Okay. That's essentially what it is. I, they're some of my favorites. And one, they're, and the second one called Poyanaskotsky, they I remember them interviewing the director, I think, on my DVD set or whatever, maybe a Blu-ray, but um, and what's so interesting is they talk about how they're shooting, there's a scene where they're watching a bunch I can't remember what country it is, because I just don't remember, but they're watching people like kind of clear out rocks, like hundreds of men just clearing out rocks from this this mine, and one of them like gets hit in the head and starts to bleed and they have to make that choice as documentarians, do we intervene? And he's like, we can't because that's not what we're we are. So I think that's part of that is like you do just have to like go along and let see what you find. And I think that a smart documentarian is just lucky enough to like be present when they get that. Yeah, you that's got- why when I hear about like we're, we're, we've had this sort of like, and I guess I hate the word, but a renaissance of sort of documentary documentary in the last couple of years because we have so much of it now and Netflix and it's available. Yeah. But I see like document documentaries that are sort of like eh, they lack a little luster because they're just like well let's let's talk about this thing and it's like yeah you informed me but there was no story yeah Do you, does, does that make sense yeah it makes perfect sense uh it's it's the people because technology has made it so i mean you and i could walk out the front door right now and using our iphones we could shoot a documentary that looks good mm-hmm. i could edit it in chunks on iMovie on my phone and then piece it together and make a film. Anyone can make a documentary. It doesn't mean anyone should. It's just like with <laughs> yeah. filmmaking or anything else, I guess. But that, to me, is the difference between um, someone who just wants to make a documentary to just make one or like the people you just sc- described. You think of it almost as being like an anthropologist, where it's like, I'm not to interfere in this. I'm not to interject myself. And you have documentarians who do that well. You have your Werner Herzog. You have your Michael Moore, which I think does it very well. Yes. Um, where they do put their own point of view on it. So then when you watch it, you're like, oh, okay, this is the subject of blank through a filter of Werner, through a filter of Michael Moore. Um, and you get their version of that story. But it's yes. good because they do it well. Yeah, uh, I've seen horrible documentaries where the documentarian puts themselves into it just to be in it versus like, oh, you're in it for a reason to mine a specific point of view. Or you're pulled into it because that yeah. can happen too. Yeah, that can happen too. Where you're like, oh, I'm supposed to be. Then you're like, uh-oh. I'm now part of this. <laughs> yeah, I have to based on what's come up organically. What organically has got to be the key to it. Because with a documentary, it's real life. It's not plot. It's not something that you scripted. So it should – the best documentaries change over the course of filming them. Where it's like, oh, I notice that this is coming out strongly. Because I'm sure when they made the documentary for this, they didn't anticipate um, the wife of the intense guy having to put up all year, put up with like living in a home she doesn't want to live in, being surrounded by horror paraphernalia all year, uh, having her kids affected by it, the way that they think. That was the biggest and, thing for me in this one. Was the relationship with the wife. so – 
like in a way that I was just like, luckily by the end, this had so much heart in it that by the end I could I understood his his point of view mm-hmm. and like he he saw it as bringing his family together, but man. I was just feeling so bad for his wife and his kids that were like, you have to like put up with so much. And you're, and I thought it was inspiring that like they were so supportive. Mm-hmm. Like that was amazing to me because I'm like, and I can, I can only, you have to like, you shine it on your own light and your own perspective. But I like, like, look what we do. Like, I'm trying to be an actor in this town, and like, you think like whoever gets in a relationship with me has to deal with that. Has to understand. Has to like have an understanding. And I'm gonna have. I'm. I've already. I've had past relationships where I'm down. Where I'm like, what the hell? Why am I not booking? Why am I not doing these things? And like, the fact that anybody was willing to put up with that is like, wow. Yeah. Like to go through someone's dream, even though you have no interest in it. Because her, like you said just now, her life is so, like they talk about that part where they talk about how she she had wanted a certain house for her life in her marriage when they got married. Yeah. And he literally sacrificed what she flat out told him just to be in a neighborhood that he could have Halloween. And yeah. Che, he In the movie, he wants to buy a house. She has a dream home in mind. And instead, he talks her into buying this house that's in a neighborhood where tons of kids would walk through his haunt. Because like he just picked a neighborhood specifically for that. They have a one-bedroom one house, uh, one-bathroom house for like five people. I guess four. It's just a family of four. Um, um, which doesn't sound that bad. But as those girls get older, it'll be bad. Anyway, I, I think she had a dream a, house and she sacrificed yeah. it for because, this. And like, yeah. But then it was like, I think it's rough. It would be easier if they weren't ha- haunters. Which, by the way, real quick, I loved that term at the top. I was like, I didn't even know they – like, I love a documentary, too, that – presents a world I'm so out of the yeah. like and it has its own specifics like that like as soon as I heard that they call themselves haunters I was like oh it would not, yeah. I'd never do that and a- that was just am- so in- amateur haunters pro haunters <laughs> uh, your pro haunts or your Halloween Horror Nights your amateur is just someone's front yard yeah it could be a scale of like I just put up something that doesn't move like a scarecrow and you could be considered a haunter uh, here's a fun fact I've built a haunt Really? Yeah. Uh, back in the day at uh, UCB here in L.A., before Comedy Bang Bang was Comedy Bang Bang, it was called Comedy Death Ray. And every year, Comedy Death Ray, um, still hosted, produced by Scott Ackerman, every year Scott wanted a haunted house at, built into the UCB Franklin Theater for people to walk through before the show started. So my buddy Scott Hayes, you probably remember Scott from back in the day, mm-hmm. Scott Hayes. Uh, ran it every year and I kind of helped him out with it to help oversee like the interns who were helping to build it. Well, one year Scott couldn't do it. So um, Scott Ackerman asked me to do it. And I was like, uh, of course. I took the day off work. I had a day job. Took the day off work, pulled out all the props, laid them out all over the stage and I built a one, two, three, four, five, six room haunted house in, a, in UCB Franklin. And it was amazing. Like each room had its own theme. Each room would have a scare. That was my goal. Is every room you walk into, there has to be a boo moment. Um, and I built it. Everyone walked through. The last room scared a ton of people very, very bad. What was that room? Uh, 
it was uh, real quick. Uh, Kumail Nanjiani walked through it and said, "It's the most scared he's ever been in his life," <laughs> and he didn't like it at all, <laughs> which made me very happy. He said it on stage, and that got a big round of applause. The last room was um, in the green room at the Franklin Theater. For those of you who haven't been in there, it's a narrow room that is literally green with a brick wall. And what I did was I built two she uh, like plastic screens almost in that room so that you couldn't see what was near the other door. You would walk in through like the alley door into the green room and the other door goes to the stage. So you would walk into the room opposite the stage door and you'd wait there on the pentagram and the druid would close the door behind you and you'd wait and the druid would knock twice and they would just wait there in silence. And then I had, I was, this was the room I was in wearing all black with like a black hood and a black mask. I had my guitar in there turned up to 10 with my amp facing the people. And after waiting one, two, three, I would nod. By the way, there's a red strobe light going too. So it's full of smoke, red strobe light, standing in silence. They could just hear the quiet of an amp up all the way. And I had my mute switch on. I would hit my all my guitar strings and unmute it at the same time so it was just a loud cacophonous blast of them oh. as a giant man dressed as the devil with huge horns like painted all red huge horns burst through the plastic screaming at him get out of here get out of here and they like ran up the stairs but it scared so many people so bad it scared mike mitchell of birthday boys Dull oh, boys yeah. fame yeah he really would, he, bad yeah <laughs> what, what year did this this oh god I'm just curious. Man, this is probably four or five years ago because I'm wondering if I, I'm just curious if I was in town, I wouldn't have gone through Probably it. Probably like five years ago, you wouldn't have gone through it. No, I was going to get to that because I wanted to, I wanted to ask. Okay. We'll get to that because um, uh, you did Halloween. Did you, was that the only haunt you've ever been part of? Halloween? Did you have haunts in your neighborhood or anything like uh, that? We had people who did like a, we had one guy who would do yard displays where there were animatronic yard displays, and we'd all go look at that. But then I would go to I grew up in Bakersfield, California. Campus Life, which I believe is a Christian rehab program, Mm -hmm. uh, would do a thing called Scream in the Dark every year that would raise money for Campus Life to get (laughs) Christian people off of drugs. And um, we'd go through that every year, and it scared me so much. It (laughs) terrified me. But you had to go because everyone in school went. So you had to go and say, I was brave. I went through it. Right. So I did that every year. Those were my two. It was like an amateur haunt in a a front yard. And then you could kind of say pro haunt with Scream in the Dark. Because it's like local kids and goofy walls. Yeah. Uh, so those two I did in my neighborhood. Okay. Because we had, my growing up in Utah, Sandy City, I remember our neighbor, my a guy named Steve Johnson that I grew up with, his dad would always do like a, like a minor one where he would like do something. It would be small, but he'd, he'd end up being something and scare you if you went yeah. to get candy. And I would never go to the porch. I refused to go to the porch. <laughs> I hated that. And then ch- our church occasionally would do a haunt. Whoa! Actually, our church. I remember them doing one at this this. Uh, I can't even think of the street name, but a church up by my elementary. I remember, and I hated it. I was terrified. Oh, a church wasn't yours. No, it was it was our Mormon church. Okay. I don't know if it was the one I attended because in my Mormon in Mormon culture, there's churches everywhere, yeah. and then they're split up into wards, like little divisions, and districts you could call them. And uh, I just remember we would. I hated it. I was like so terrified, and I That's didn't so like crazy. I didn't like going through it. Um, and then. And I we'd go to and then the the pro ones were either like uh, March of Dimes, which I don't, I, and then um, <laughs> the March of Dimes haunted house. Yeah, and then Wheeler Farm had one that I was 
fucking I remember going through and they had, it was like dragon themed that year and I hated it I was terrified out of my mind there were dragons popping out I I hate I hate haunted house I could say right now Adam I have not been to a haunted house for probably over 15 years and it's because I'm terrified of them like and I'm not ironic like I'm not saying that ironically okay. or like I hate them I, so you don't have fun at all I, I it scares me <laughs> I'm a grown man that like, doesn't like being scared would you and they're, they're terrified if the timeline worked out for you, and I was because I go to all of them every year, uh-huh. I go. If I already find one for you to go to with us, would you go just to it, see what it it's will, like? Isn't it? It would. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm saying that with such reluctance. It will take a little persuasion, but you you might be able to get me to go. Okay. Because my friend James Mulholland, you know him, James, right? The, the, um, he wants really bad me to go to that Queen Mary thing, and I'm like, oh, maybe <laughs> that one's one of the worst, in my opinion. Really? Yeah. They oversell tickets. They crowd you in. And you're back to back with like you're up to the back of the person in front of you. Uh, see, that's the other thing the listeners have got to understand. I go to a ton of haunts every year, yeah. so I am a huge fan. Like I just went to Horror Nights. I just did a horror themed escape room last night, and I might might go to Knott's Sunday night, which I'll be texting you about. All right, um, but it uh, I, I love the, them. Uh, it's so funny that we're so opposite because I saw the just recently like the the billboards and like. Uh, in the bus, like the sure. bus, um, uh, <laughs> like bench ad, bench ad. There's a bench ad. I was, I can't. Remember. I was in somebody's car recently, getting like a ride home or something, and I saw a bench ad for Hollywood. And I looked at it, I'm like, not doing that. Like I, my, I viscerally just get scared. Like I immediately, I'm like. Like, it starts to stress me out. Okay. Well, lay that on me, because here's the thing. Here, here's what I want to ask. You're an yeah. articulate, intelligent guy, so I want you to try to formulate this into words for me. I don't get scared whatsoever. Like, I have zero fear. Why do I jump? Because the sound is loud and someone pops up where previously there was right. no one. That's what scares me. Nothing really messes me. So I want you to explain to me, if you look at this bench ad that has what you know to be an actor in makeup. That's all it is. Dresses a bride with, like, <laughs> Dead eyes. What is scary? How is this affecting you? What do you think? I think because I, uh, and this this will be this will actually be out when I'm watching a scary movie a, a, uh, once a day in October, starting tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Um, I give over to realities. Like I, that's what's fun to me. Is like if I go. That's why I think I love movies so much. Is I like it to give over to what reality it's. Presenting me, yeah. Therefore, I just I know I'm not going. To, I'm going to play into it. I that sounds weird, but I'm going to. If I go to a haunted house, I'm going to play into it. Therefore, I know I'm going to get terrified. <laughs> Two things. One, <laughs> one, I'm jealous that you could do that. I'm so jealous you could do that because I do try to do that. But uh-huh. the only time I've ever been able to achieve it is when I was very, very high and went through one. I was finally able to be like. Uh, what I did right before I walked in, I was like, what if this was real? And I had one of those like existential high thoughts where you're like, <laughs> it felt like a, a Grant Morrison super gods <laughs> chapter where, was, yeah. where he like takes all that mescaline and sees God. And, yeah. Where I was like, what if this is real? And walked through and it scared me. It did. It managed to do it. But how can you look at, how does that apply to like seeing a picture of something? If I were to hold up like a picture of like a dead bride, I'd it pro- would scare you? I don't think so. I think it for some reason <laughs> it's uh, just it's the experience of the haunted house. It's choosing for to walk through that world and I'm gonna know I know I think it's that is a triggering of like what I know I'm gonna feel. And I start to it starts to 
it starts to build up like, oh yeah, that's what that feeling is going to be. Oh, As okay. I'm going to be stressed. Like preemptive anxiety. Anxiety about having to even just walk. Like I, <laughs> I, I think they had one in Utah called in Lagoon. I can't remember. There's an amusement park in uh, Utah called Lagoon and they do like a Halloween thing. And I think I went to that once and just waiting in line will start to just, I will get anxiety oh, building up to knowing when I know I'm going to have to go through. So you know what gives me that feeling is roller coasters uh, because one time my lap bar came off on Goliath, which is the tallest ride at Magic Mountain. My lap bar came off. I obviously survived it. I'm a ghost, Dave. Uh, Cool. First ghost on a podcast. Whenever I... Oh, podcast first. Uh, It's on the I Will I'll Watch Any Movies Once podcast, not Ghost Hunters podcast. That's how it would happen, though. Uh, But because of that, I still do ride roller coasters, but if it looks impractical to me in some way, I won't ride it at all. Where I'm like, oh, I don't see how I could hold on in that and survive. It's usually if it doesn't have a seatbelt, I'll balk at it. Uh, oh, or wow. if it's if it's like a gigantic tower drop ride, Tower of Terror is fine. But if it's like a you're going up 500 feet and dropping straight down, I don't do that. But I do go on rides that have a seatbelt and they are high up. But when I get in line and I'm like second to getting on, like second to the next car to go, um, uh, oh boy, that anxiety builds, and I do feel that fear. Which I feel is like that. It's the same thing of like, I'm not going to fall. It's probably not going to happen. But there's that fear of anticipation. And yeah. like, it could happen, I guess. So I guess that's what you feel. Yeah. That's is what I, I feel I, waiting. Yeah. I think that's it's the closest thing that you are experiencing that I can, we can relate. Because yeah, I, uh, I've avoided it for so long. It's just. What's the scariest thing you've ever seen or done? And I don't mean like a guy shot at you or the fear of like a loved one dying. I mean, what's like the manufactured fear? What has scared you the most, either film or experience? That's a good question. Because I'm like, what is it? Because I'll sit through a movie, even if at the end of the movie I go, that movie was dumb. While I'm watching it, I'm scared out of my fucking mind. You should. Because I watched the movie, you probably saw it, The Devil's... um, but one where it's about the babysitter, The Devil's and, Own with Brad Pitt and Harrison yes. Ford. Where they're I'm kidding. No, no, <laughs> what no, were you that, asking about? I, the Devil's a saying, babysitter. He, he, like not that it's like the Devil's the House of the Devil. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah where the babysitter that? shows up. It's Ty West yeah. film. Yeah, it's it's a good movie. Yes, like so. I watched that with me and Ryan Hitchcock. You know him. Oh yeah, and I had to talk through the whole damn thing. Because I'm getting, I'm so uncomfortable. By the end of that movie, I was like, man, this plot was dumb and I could pull out, like, I'm like laughing about it. But during the movie, I'm completely invested and I'm so fuck. I'm slinking into the couch. I'm talking to Ryan. I'm going, ah, like, I'm having to, like, try to joke through it, but it's because yeah. I'm trying to fend off my, what I'm, what I'm going through. I think that, oh, and I'm God. trying to think of, like, what in life. I think growing up, my brother would scare us a lot, my brother Tom, because he loved horror movies and he's one of the rare people that actually if he asks me to go see a scary movie I'll go um, and he'll laugh at me because I'll jump at least once I'll jump once and never more mm-hmm. in a movie a scary movie and he laughs at me every time I do it but I'll go with him if he was to ask me go see this and I've seen other scary movies with him that I was like I normally would never see but um, he would scare us less I remember one time we got so scared at home uh, 
I don't know what preempted it, but I remember me, my sister, her friend Emery, and maybe her little sister. We got so scared one night at Home Alone that we all got like knives and like and got in the tub. <laughs> oh. And we're waiting for. And my brother Mike, who's not the one that scares us, came in. It was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> three things. Three things based on what you talked about there that came up that that reminded me. Um, one, I think House of the Devil works because it. Um, Oh, I have a lot of thoughts on it that I don't want to share because I wouldn't want him getting back to the writer-director. But I think that it was made very modestly, and they managed to capture some like genuine fear, like oh, scary moments. And the as that film goes, great. the tension's great. The third act is fantastic. Two, uh, one of your horror movies, if you're watching a horror movie every day, I want to recommend to you. I'm actually going to write something on this, uh, a blog post later this ne- upcoming week about the new Blair Witch. I recommend it. Really? There are huge, huge script issues, but the the once night sets in that movie, it's kind of like closer to the end of the second act all the way through the third act. Mm-hmm. It is fantastic horror. It's one of the best horror experiences I've had in theaters in a Ooh. long time. The third act is amazing. Um, so I guess it's a bit of a spoiler. Guess what? As the movie gets closer to the end, it picks up and is good. That's, um, that oh, should so be every, every, like every movie. movie? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there was a third point I was going to say. Oh, um, I could share a time. Because you're saying like when we were kids, we were so scared we had knives. When I was a kid, my parents left. Uh, well, they'd go on trips and leave me alone because I was a good kid. Like my sister and I were such good kids. They didn't care. Okay. We, were, we were intelligent, respectful children who didn't get in trouble. So when I was like 12, they'd go out of town for the week and leave me for like a night or two yeah. and it was fine they'd give us like money to rent food we stayed inside and played video games my dad and mom would rent me a ton of movies and video games I didn't go anywhere right. I just stayed home so one of those nights I had um, my best friend was a kid who lived up the street named Billy Fortner who was the toughest kid in school uh, his family um he had, they had like a tough situation. It was like a lot of kids, single parents, single mom who worked two jobs to take care of all of them. It's like six kids, five or six kids. She had a lot of responsibility, so she was always gone. So they would do whatever they wanted, and uh, they raised themselves essentially. So he grew up tough because of it. Super tough kid, not afraid of anything. And he came over, and one of the movies my parents let me rent was this movie called Funhouse, which is a horror movie directed by Toby Hooper, who directed, famously directed, um, Texas Chainsaw, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Massacre. And a lot of people don't know this for some reason, directed Poltergeist. Oh, he directed it. Steven Spielberg that? produced it. Uh, but I knew a that, lot of people say Spielberg was very hands on with him to get the right look for it. But he directed that. He's a great horror director. And he directed this movie called Funhouse, which most people haven't seen. It's an 80s horror film that is very, oh God, it's so perfectly 80s. But it's a great horror movie as well. Mm-hmm. I can loan you that if you want to watch that for one of your days. I would love to. Um, but that movie ended. We rented it. We watch it. Me and Billy Fortner, we stay in the night. We watch Funhouse. It ends. We had like pizza and sodas. Great. It's over. Time to try to go to sleep. So we're laying in the living room. We're like having like a sleepover. So it's us. We've got sleeping bags laid out. We're laying there. We're trying to fall asleep. But we're kids. So we're not going to fall asleep. I mean, it's like midnight. We're still wired from soda and pizza. So we're just laying there kind of talking. And it's like long, quiet lulls. You remember having those with your friends. We're just like staring mm-hmm. at the ceiling. And we're in the living room. I hear someone walk through the backyard. And I think it's just me being like paranoid because of the movie. So I tap Bill and he's like, yeah, he was awake. I was like, hey, do you guys hear someone walking outside? Like he cut me off. I go, yeah. He goes, yeah, there's someone out there. The sound goes around the living room. Like it goes past the sliding glass door, goes around the corner. And then I hear the garage door open, like the outside garage door. 
And then I hear shuffling in the garage and I'm, I look at Billy, I go, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm so scared. I'm getting ready to cry. And he goes, don't worry about it. Uh, he's like, don't worry about it. I'll protect you. Do you have like a bat or something? I was like, yeah, of course. I gave him a bat and I handed it to him. We stand in the kitchen and the garage door handle rattles several times. Someone's trying to open it. And here's something I know about my parents' house in Bakersfield, California. So any of you can break in after hearing this podcast if you want. If you rattle and shake that door handle enough, it will open. So I ran to the door and put the chain on it and jumped back and like waited. And the hand heard that and stopped. And then we heard a shuffle of feet again, that door open and close, shuffle around the side. And we went and looked out the, like, we pulled the drapes back to look into the backyard and we didn't see anyone walk by. So I slowly closed it and we lay there. I didn't sleep at all that night. I stayed up all night just staring at the wall. Billy fell asleep. He was fine. But I remember before I went to bed, I was like, what do you think it was? He goes, probably some drunk guy, like thought he was at his house, but he wasn't. I was like, but what if it was someone just checking doorknobs to see who left their house open? And to yeah. come in and just kill him or rob him. He goes, well, they would have tried to rob you. He's probably not going to kill you, but they would like steal stuff and leave. And I was like, it was that moment where I was like, you have a life where you look at the reality of the situation. You're like, oh, it's probably a thief. We would scream and he'd run away. We like threaten him with a bat and call the cops and everything's fine. Versus me immediately being like, he would have murdered two 12 year old kids, done whatever he wanted and took off and no one would have known. But that was my mindset oh. versus his. That's one of the most scared in my life I've ever been in. Uh, as a kid, I guess. As a kid, I've yeah. ever been. As an adult, I've had situations where it's scary. Like, oh, your lab bar coming off on a ride or being yeah. shot at at a party once. But like to me, that's like very real fear versus the fear of what if this happens. Yeah, I'm very much, I think my fear comes from my imagination. Like I don't, I can't think of a moment where I'm like, oh, that, like that sounds like, that's, that's a real thing that happened i i think i give over because i was like as you were telling the story i'm like what 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 is that to me and i'm like well i i do have ghost stories that i generally have and we won't get on on Uh, we we can do that off off podcast because that is something that like uh it's rare it's rare that i talk about it because it really happened and i believe everything that happened to me was actually and it's where i'm like well i still kind of believe ghosts exist i don't know what they were but they exist. Well, whatever one is your to interject really quick. Whatever one is your scarce one. I'm on a team called Bangerang. We perform Friday nights at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, eight o'clock. <laughs> I would love for you to come by and tell one of them to inspire improv. Hundred percent. Okay. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, but in regards to this, growing up, that I had that inform me, which was like these these ghost experiences as a kid in my household. But then. One of the scariest things growing up for me was the fact that, um, and this is so dumb. When you hear, when you hear what I was scared of growing up, anybody that's hearing this is going to go, "How the fuck are you scared of this?" I was scared of a thing that my my brothers invented, and it was called the Snackmaster Lady. And they would, oh god, <laughs> and that all, name exactly. Because if you look up what a Snackmaster is, do you know what a Snackmaster no. is? So you know what a George Foreman is. Yeah, it was a per, it was pre George Foreman. What it was was just black thing. You'd plug in, you'd put like bread, cheese, and then another bread, and you'd close it, and it would like it was like a panini press, yeah, kind of in a sense. But before that, they called that that. Yeah, and it made and, them into like little pockets almost. Yeah, so like, like push the bread. They're I like do triangles. remember those. Yes, that of was course a snack I master. Okay. So that it was. They ended up inventing this like old lady that would scare me at night, and I and I, 
And again, I think it's just because I give over. I give over so quickly to like that. That could be a reality. You know what I mean? Like that's that's uh, that's a possibility. And I remember growing up, they would if they wanted to scare me, they'd be like the snack master's in the corner, and I could this. I swear I could see her. You know what I mean? In my head, of course she was never there, but in my head I was like, it's this old crackety lady that looks like a fucking corpse. It's like it's sitting in like <laughs> sitting in like a uh, uh, a rocking chair holding a snack master, and I'm probably gonna put my hand in that thing, and I would terrify me. Growing up, that terrified me if they even mentioned the snack master lady. That was it. It was like that. And um, I'm trying to think. There was one other thing, but maybe I can't. I, maybe I lost it because the snack master lady just took all my entire love, brain. <laughs> I'm gonna put my hand in it. Like she's like, Dave, put your hand in this snack master. <laughs> I don't wanna. You have to. <laughs> yeah. Okay. As a kid, you're like, oh, But no. as kids, you get so scared. I remember scaring. It's such a rite of passage, like, scaring those younger than you. Because I had younger cousins. Mm-hmm. And one of my cousins, I told him there's a, a tree in my backyard named Pinwheel. Because I <laughs> hammered a pinwheel into it. So, yeah. like, it would blow when the wind blew. I said, there's a tree named Pinwheel in that corner that's alive and it's evil. And if you get near it, it will wrap its branches around you and kill you. And he was terrified. Like, he would cry. And I would do the voice of it and be like, Chris, I'm Pinwheel. Come play. And he's like, no, you're going to kill me. I was like, no, I'm nice. And he would walk up to it. And every time he got close, I'd go, I'm going to kill you. Like, would change his voice and he'd run away. No. But he would fall for it every time. He'd be like, no, last time you were mean. It's like, no, it's not. And he wouldn't even think that I was doing the voice of, you know, I was standing next to him. He believed all of that. Yeah. It's like to be a kid and just like so naively believe, okay, that's what they say is the case. That's the case. That's it. We'll and give over to he it. He said it's not him talking, even though I see him covering his mouth and like moving. He doesn't do that normally, but yeah, you know what? I believe him. Yeah, we do. And I, yeah. And, and you, even though I can separate that, like, oh, that horror, that, that haunted house is fake. And I know it. And there are designers that go to Hollywood uh, Horror Nights and all of that. I, when I'm in it, I'm going to believe it. I know in the moment I'm going to give over to it. And that's why I don't. That's why I avoid scary movies. Because I know that when I'm watching it, I'm going to give over. Yeah. Uh, I, I like escape rooms. That's my new obsession. Is I want to try rooms. them. I haven't tried. You've got to do one. Um, like one I did last night was haunted, like ghost themed, and I you do like immerse yourself more in an escape room because they kind of tell you a story before it starts, and then you walk into it and you're a part of it. It's like cool. I'm here to do this thing, so it forces you to be a part of it. I've done a couple of escape rooms alone. And even though they weren't horror-themed, they're still intense because it's you alone. There's a countdown clock. There's usually atmospheric music. So you feel like, especially when you're alone, you feel like you're in this situation. You're in a cabin in the middle of the woods. There's a fire crackling. There's whatever. You are in, uh, like one I did, you're on the surface of Mars on a spaceship. I was wearing, like, a NASA jumpsuit, and I was trying to get off before I died. Where did you do this? That one was in Nashville. That's so cool. Yeah. A lot of some of them are starting to do like costume pieces where it's like you have to dress as a prisoner, you have to do this, which I think you should do one because then your clothes don't get damaged. But two, it's not like welcome to Victorian England where you're wearing uh, cut off dickies and a, a Bart Simpson t shirt. It's like, yeah. well, yeah, let's dress up for it. Why not? That's great. It's, if I, I mean, ran, that becomes immersive theater. In exactly. Time, so. If I ran an escape room, I would say it's I request not require that you dress as your room. 
So, like, if you're doing a mob mob room and it's set in the 30s, Chicago, like, dress like that. Why yeah. not? It'll make it more fun for you. I agree. Mm-hmm. And why not? I mean, that would be the fun. I would do that. I would do that in a heartbeat. I'd be like, great, let's really immerse ourselves. Because <laughs> I think that's why. Did you, 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 you've done Sleep No More, right? Oh, yeah. I think Sleep No More works really well because of the masks they give you. Because regardless of what you're wearing, at least, I don't know, this my interpretation of it when I was going through it was that especially when Lady Macbeth starts losing it and they start and, and if you notice in those moments they start to see us and I think it's because we're the spirit like because of those masks for us, we are the spirit realm that's observing that story yeah and that, but cannot in a sense like if you've ever read Christmas Carol or seen a rendition of it that's good when they sh- when Marley like shows uh, Scrooge what the other like what his spirits are up to it's like they just wander the earth they're trapped they're stuck on earth that's what I saw it as it's like kind of like oh they're starting to see us we're observant uh, we're observing this so it's like it works. It's like it doesn't – I'm not pulled out of it because yeah. I am already separate from it. For Whereas like something if, – if you were to do – if I was to have not the mask and just been wandering around, it would have felt – I would have felt out of place. I would have been like, I'm fucking modern. What the hell is this? Well, is- I do wish they, they gave everyone like black cloaks to wear because if I'm like seeing a dude in a mask, which is great. I'm glad they do the masks because I don't want to see someone's face that would really take me out of it. Like their expressions and how they're feeling by about what they're seeing yeah. is great. Um, I also don't want to see like a, a Hurley shirt. A Hurley like, shirt. A guy well, like in a jump Nike jumpsuit that's yeah. like fluorescent. It's like, let's just put That'd be on. like if you went with Oscar Montoya, you'd be like, I can see <laughs> yeah. Oscar everywhere he goes. Really bright. <laughs> if, um, if you haven't done Sleep No More, listeners, it's a it's an ex- immersive theater experience in New York that is based off the films of Alfred Hitchcock, Macbeth, and noir aesthetic yeah so it's uh, the Hitchcock influence is a lot of like the aesthetic and it has great dancing in it that Mm -hmm. like choreography dancing choreographed fights nudity Uh, I I touched I had the experience where I uh, Lady Macbeth got out of the bed and I was the hand she had to to use to get out I I was like she grabbed my hand and we ran up three flights of stairs oh wow and a ton of people followed us and she goes there are too many people watching we I gotta go and left and I was like what would my private experience have been because they'll pull you into little private rooms one private experience I did get one of the witches uh, the three witches they like at one point they pull off well never I don't want to spoil it Um, I was pulled into a room Right. Uh, it was a private room with one of the witches and a fake wall. Like, she opened a fake wall. We jumped in, and she closed it behind us. And uh, I'll just say what happened because not everyone gets to experience I'll it. I'll tell you mine, too. So and uh, she walks up into it. It's a tiny room, very hot, uh, lit by a makeup mirror with, like, bulbs around uh, the mirror. And she's staring in the mirror. It's like, blonde, long blonde hair. And she pulls her wig off, and she's bald. She has a shaved head. Um, and she, like, reapplies her lipstick like looks at herself in the mirror is working up to tears tears are coming down and she looks at me pushes me against the wall and like licks my neck from the base of it all the way up to my ear and then bites my ear and just st- stands next to me breathing in my ear for like a minute and then throws me out of the room and slams the door behind me wow and everyone like looked at me because you don't want to talk to each other yeah uh you you can't yeah you're not, um, you so they stared at me and then other people like tried to push it open and i shook my head no and they walked away wow. like i let them know like you can't go in there it's one thing yeah. what was your private experience do you remember on the top floor i think it's the same floor as the asylum yeah there's, there's three that floors. there's that wood the, like the woods area up there oh yeah and there's a there's like a, a hut. wood hut 
So people have told me that there was those experiences, but I was like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'll get it. But I walk up and somebody comes as I'm walking. I see somebody come out of it and I'm like, I'm going in that hut. I don't know what it's going to take. I'm going. So I just stood outside that and looked at where I could possibly see a window. Next thing I know, I probably wait. I don't even know how long I waited. It had to be over five minutes and possibly 10. And, um, she, whoever's in there opens it, looks directly at me. We make eye contact. She closes the window, opens, and she beckons me over. So I go into the hut. I get into the hut. She closes. You can barely see in what's going on. She sits me down, takes my mask off, then pours me tea, proceeds to spoon feed me this tea. Then after that, tells going to like kind of like palm reading, but just touching my palm tells me this crazy story about a boy who didn't like he like an orphan boy that didn't like living on earth so decided to go to the moon got to moon found out it was built like out of shit or something it was just a facade then got came back to earth and everything had gone to, to, gone wrong on earth and it was just this weird dark depressing story and then something startled her and she jumped forward and like grabbed me and then in my ear it was like some, I can't remember I wish I could remember the, like something like something of the blood then proceeded to put my mask back on and sent me on my way and I was nice. just like whoa yeah. and if I didn't have I mean I already I loved everything about that but that was like that extra level of like what the hell you know what I mean like it was so personal yeah I forgot to mention that she took my mask off too yeah like whenever I think you get those private, private encounters they pull your mask off yeah because I think it makes it it just takes it to that next you get pulled into their world because yeah. with the mask you're separated it's so interesting so to bring that back I want to we're speaking about this highly wait hold elevated, on really quick did it scare you sleep no more no it, I thought it was going to I was when we went in when we were going up the elevator because I weirdly was in there with um, oh my god guy that did his own immersive why can't I not think of his name he's a comedian out here and he did his the he did the the millennial Oh, uh, Moses uh, Moses. We ended up in the same elevator together. We just couldn't recognize it. And he was the guy that got pushed out on the top floor by himself. Oh, right. So when I first walked out, I was like, my brain went, is this like a haunted house? Am I going to get... And then I slowly realized, no. And I didn't get scared. I, I was so... There were so many times I was just wandering by myself. Into rooms, I was like, what? I hope something comes in here. And then didn't. Like, there's that weird interrogation room. That's yeah. on one of the floors, and I've never. I want to. If I go ever get to do it again, I'm going to go to that room and wait to see if something comes in. Because I would go in there, and I was like, something has to happen in here. They play something really loud in there. Really? I saw someone get close in there, and they shut the door, and something really loud came on, and light poured out of the door. Whoa! I was like, Whoa! That's probably. I I hate loud noises. That's the thing that scares me. Is like yeah, you're loud saying. noise. So that would have bothered me. Right. So what are you going to say? So we're talking about so, all this. So bring this back. Like we're talking about this highly. Um, elevated theater experience that's in New York and you have to travel to New York. You have to pay... Uh, I was lucky enough that I got sponsored by somebody that took me to it. Whoa. Uh, uh, cool. Jacob Pitts. Okay. He he was like, he's like, I'm just going to take you to this. Nice. Which is one of the greatest things he ever did for Jacob me. Jacob Pitts on Justified. Uh, fantastic character. God, a fantastic actor. And he, so it's like 100 but if you pay, it's like over $100 to experience yeah. this. Bring this back. This is what these guys. This is these. This documentary is, is displaying that like you. These people that want to give you a similar experience. It might be Halloween. It might be kitschy. Whatever the word is, I just kitschy. But like they're trying to give you that kind of experience without having 
they're like they don't have the budget that these theaters have, or you know, you know what I mean. They're mm-hmm. not saying you have to fly. They're trying to bring it to their own communities. That's what we really end on, and it's beautiful. Yeah, is that these guys are like, I just want to bring a community together, and I'm doing it through a haunt. And it's all free. Like, they, they make that point. They're like, we're not charging for this. It's all free. It's just an experience. And the thing, yeah, one of the things they touch on is, like, I'm making memories for people. One of the most poignant lines in that to me, and it kind of makes me think of, like, my comedy and all these these free improv shows I do. Or sketch shows where you put all this work into it, memorize, buy costumes, stage it, do all this. Is he says, they may not remember me, but they'll remember what I provided them. Yes. It's like a service. Like, oh, I saw a show. It was really funny. It made me laugh a Great. I, made, moment. I you, made someone very happy for an hour. Yeah. Cool. What a power. What a powerful thing to be able to give to people. somebody. Yeah, yeah, and it's a thing. It, it's a giving. It's a very giving thing. Mm-hmm. You're he, just giving his time and giving it away to let somebody else experience something. You know, and that's – if you're willing to do that, uh, you, there's something special about you because there's so many people – we go through the, and we we're, we're we're instinctually like built to just like take care of ourselves and like go like me 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 me. So if you can find that thing that like your dream is actually giving something, great go way to go. Like yeah. even even the guys that are on the very bottom of this tier system of like we have the perfectionists, we have the middle ground, we have the super just thrown together. They are doing it for the same reasons too. They, they this this um, excuse me, this father and son who are very like when you first meet them, you're like, who are these slow witted guys? And then you realize that this guy was an engineer. He just life has just slowed him down. It has nothing yeah. to do with it has nothing to do with his intelligence. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then you start to empathize with that. Like, and then you're like, they just doing this. They're being clowns because to me, they're, they're sharing that. It's yeah. just something they can give. And it's like, who cares how good it is? They're giving it. <laughs> yeah, I really think. We like, all want to be the best, but. I really think my, like, as far as point of views, I think the most touching is the middle tier guy. Because you watch him in the documentary, you watch him just be so happy that people are enjoying it. He's not walking through. He's not scaring anyone. He's not putting on a big show himself. I Hey, I built this goofy thing. Walk through it. If it scares you, cool. And you just see him smiling, looking at the kids. And it's like, yeah, yeah man, that's what it's about. Make a good experience for your community. Right. You'll and, be remembered for that. And he has one of the greatest – he shares one of the greatest experiences of community in this documentary is that he's talking about – he's done this for years. He goes and has a heart attack. And he's, and he's talking about how, like, oh, I have to not – I can't do it this year. I had a heart attack. And his own wife gathers a bunch of people come out of the woodwork, it sounds like, just to make sure his thing gets done because yeah. they want that. Yeah. And that's a very touching moment. I love that moment. Community, man. Small town communities. Which we – oh, no. This is going to get too hard. Like, which we lose a lot of living in Los Angeles because everyone is so, like, sequestered and individual versus, like, oh, there could be a community. Like, we could do stuff like that. Why not? You could. It's harder here, though. It's – I mean, it's – it is very harder. We both grew up in small towns, so we know what that feels like to have, like, that community. Yeah, when you find your own community, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Making people happy. Ah, oh, I love it. I love everything about their haunts. <laughs> I love the shitty stuff. Like I would, I would go to those. There are, by the way, amateur haunts in LA. It's like I went to one in a backyard last year in Burbank. 
It's like a guy's whole backyard was converted. And it was so fun. What was like his theme, or did he? Every room had a different thing. Okay. Uh, so you just like with these haunts, every room was themed differently. So there was like a post-apocalyptic. They're like guys with guns that were screaming at you. It's like an alien room. There's like a clown room. There's a whatever room. He maybe has like six kids teenagers walking through the back in character playing these people but his entire backyard is converted and i mean it made me jump a ton and there are really cool things in there and you ought i do like it's that weird thing of like how you love indie bands and then when a band gets big you're like oh i still listen to their music but you know you i don't, don't feel like the yeah. yeah that's how it feels when you walk through those versus going through like the theme park haunts is like yeah you guys have deep pockets this is a guy who just like in this documentary paid for all this on his own built it over the course of a year protected it from the weather and then made people happy he waited out front he asked you if you had been before and then when you left he asked you sincerely what you thought what you would change was there anything wrong like what do you think and just wanted to know how people felt walking through it and he has like a donation bucket that's too. amazing He's like if you want to donate cool and of course we're going to give a ton it's free to walk through yeah and then you just give a donation on the way out i love it that's a gr- oh. it's like you it, could it's, probably get me to that you yeah. might be able to get me to that before i go to the it's still but scary again, i'm just saying you're trying to you're gonna try to get me to go you might as well try yeah um I don't know. If I, uh, I thanks, Adam. Yeah, of course. I really enjoyed this documentary. Thank you for introducing it to me, and thanks for watching with me today and talking about it. <laughs> yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. If you want more from Adam McCabe, you can follow him on Twitter at Adam S. McCabe. As well as you should check out his YouTube channel, Pitiful Creatures, for great sketch comedy and sketch characters. I've had the pleasure of actually being in some of those, but every one he puts up is always guaranteed to be funny. So check that out on YouTube, Pitiful Creatures. As well as you should head up to Upright Citizens Brigade in Los Angeles, the UCB Franklin location, every Friday. Friday night at 8 p.m. to check him out with his great improv group, Bangarang Presents The Weekend. Um, it's always going to be a wonderful show. They always have great guests that give monologues, and then they improvise off those. Recently, along with two other people, um, Marcy Giroux and Santina Muha, we were able to tell ghost stories and watch Bangarang improvise off those. It had been a long time since seeing them play, and it was such a treat. Definitely check out Bangarang at the Upright Citizens Brigade. It's a wonderful and always guaranteed to be a funny, delightful time when you see their show. And thank you again for listening to the podcast. Please follow the podcast on Twitter at IWWAO as well as Instagram and Snapchat at IWWAO as well as we have a Facebook page you can follow and or Tumblr if that's your thing at IWillWatchAnythingOnce.tumblr.com And if you have any movies out there that you think I should watch for this month of October, you can send a tweet at me using the hashtag 31 Days to Scare Dave. I'm trying to get scared with all these scary movies that I normally avoid. So definitely please send that over. And please go to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review. More positive reviews and ratings and people subscribe will bring more listeners to the podcast and I would really appreciate Appreciate that. So thank you, and remember, if you haven't seen it once, you can't complain.
Hey, listeners, while Dave tells, uh, it finishes his thought, I'm going to turn on the air conditioner. You're going to hear a very quiet noise in the background. It's it won't fine. interrupt the audio quality, I promise. It's fine. This episode of I Will Watch Anything Once was brought to you by RhetoricCoffee.com. Use the promo code BOARDWALK to get 30% off your first roast. Again, RhetoricCoffee.com, promo code BOARDWALK for 30% off your very first roast. This has been a BoardWalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardWalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.